13. You can go to 2 Samuel 13, and it's a really difficult passage. And this verse of this song, I didn't ask Aaron to sing this song, but um, it says, where sin runs deep, where sin runs deep. Somebody recently posted, um, after they just went through a real trial and, and, a, and a disaster in their life, a, a kind of an acquaintance of mine, they posted this statement, and, it's, and they said, sin ruins everything. You know that? Just everything. And last week, we've been, and if you're joining us for the first time, you're like, all right, Ethan, what are you talking about? It's a little heavy this morning. Well, we've, we've been studying the life of David. In the life of David, just everything was just going so well. I mean, it was just a storybook tale, right? I mean, you saw him a long time ago. He's, he's young David, and he, he slays Goliath, and just his whole life is just... And then, and you know, then he's on the run. It's not his own fault, but he's on the run, and, and he's going, uh, uh, and, and it looks like it might be over, but God steps in and rescues him. And then he's just doing so well again. And in the last few weeks, we saw his sin with Bathsheba. And it was just like a watershed moment in his life. We looked, I think you looked, my dad preached last Sunday, I think you looked some at Psalm 51. We looked at some of the Psalms around this on this past Wednesday night too. And David, he finds restoration. He's, aren't you thankful that you're never too far gone for the love of the Lord? Where sin runs deep, his grace is more. His grace is more. No matter how far you've wandered, no matter how much you've messed up your life, uh, no, matter, no matter how sinful or broken or whatever, the grace of God is more. It's greater. It can find you in your most wretched place. Like the songwriter said, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. His grace is so much more. But we know, but then we just, we live with the brokenness of sin around us. And we read about it on the news, or it affects our family, or somebody we love is hurt by the sinful actions of another. And boy, it hurts us deeply, doesn't it? The Bible says that the whole creation is groaning. It's just waiting for the redemption, that there's a day coming when Jesus is going to return. We sang about that today, too. You look forward to that day? I mean that he's coming back and all the thing, all of the, the evil in this world is going to be made right. And King Jesus will reign. But you'll see on the inside of your handout this morning, of the notes, just to set this the case, David's repented of his sin, but the fallout from his action is just beginning. You see, all through his life, David has unfortunately made decisions that have been planted in the hearts of his family and his close associates that are starting to bear their ugly fruit. 2 Samuel 13, the passage today, is one of great heartache and sadness. Don't read this, as we read this story, don't read this account just as some ancient thing, but understand that these were real people affected by some awful choices. There's going to be some sinful behavior by some very wicked men. It's going to, an effect, it's going to affect an innocent victim in this passage. Boy, it's, it's hard. I, would have, I struggled a little bit with this passage. I didn't even want to, I really didn't even want to preach on this passage. But we're, it's in the Word of God. 
It's the next sequence in, the, in what we're studying. And I think it's, I know that it's important for us to wrestle with the hard passages, with the difficulties, because we're going to see a young woman who is victimized in this passage. And painful stories like this, they're often a sad part of life for many people in the day and age in which we live. And there may be even people here that resonate with some of the things that happen in this passage. But we need to remember that when we follow Christ, and that's our series, Following the Shepherd, when we follow Christ, it doesn't mean we are immune to the ugliness of the world and sin around us. It doesn't mean that, you know, because I know Jesus now, that everything is going to be okay in my life. Well, it is going to be okay because you have the shepherd, but it doesn't mean that everything's going to be pleasant. And we don't understand, and you may have gone through a hardship or, or, or a terrible thing in your life, and you don't understand, God, why would you allow that? We don't know the answers to those questions, but when we have a relationship with the Lord, what we do know the answer to is this. We do know that the Lord, our relationship with the Lord gives us a framework to process this, and He gives us healing and hope to endure, that He walks with us through these times. And so as we come to this passage, that's really what we're dealing with today. And it starts in verse number 1 of chapter 13. It came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar, beautiful young woman, a daughter of the king named Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Now, you'll find soon that the word love here is, is really, he would have described it as love, but we learn later that it was a wicked lust that he had for his half-sister. Amnon was the oldest son. Amnon was the oldest son of David. And we know that David had made a decision, contrary to the word of God, many years prior, and he had made a decision to take many wives into his harem. That was common practice of the kings of the day. That's what they would do. It, the, the Old Testament had told the kings of Israel not to do that, but David was influenced by the culture around him, and David took many wives. And because of that, the family was fill of, filled with many children, half-siblings um, that, that had um, interacted in a different way. And so obviously, by the way, people will point to things like polygamy and in the Bible, and they'll, and they'll try to poke holes in the Bible. There's never a passage of Scripture where anything good came from a polygamous relationship. You won't find it. You'll find it in the life of Abraham. It brought heartache into Abraham's family. You'll look at the story of Jacob and all of his sons. It brought heartache into that family. And now, it, and now David's behavior is going to bring heartache into his family. You see, David planted a, a, a seed. And we talked about this. What is going to happen is not a direct punishment to David. What it is is it's a consequence of his behavior. Amnon is going to have to... Amnon can't blame his dad for his behavior. We understand that right now. Amnon can't say, well, my dad did this, my dad did that. It doesn't matter. Each person is responsible for his own actions. Nonetheless, nonetheless his, his father had planted a seed in his life that come, bears an ugly fruit. So we see in Amnon a profile of an abuser. 
It says, verse number two, that Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin. And Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. So his cousin is, a, is an evil man. In fact, it says he's a subtle man. He's a sneaky man. He's a wicked man. In verse 4, he says, why art thou being the king's son lean from day to day? Why are you so sick? Why are you suffering so much? Why don't you tell me? And Amnon said unto him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. And Jonadab said unto him, Lay thee down on thy bed, and make thyself sick. And when thy father cometh to see thee, say unto him, I pray thee, let my sister Tamar come, and give me meat, and dress the meat in my sight, that I may see it, and eat it at her hand. So Amnon lay down and made himself sick. He pretended to be ill. And when the king was come to see him, Amnon said unto the king, I pray thee, let Tamar, my sister, come and make me a couple of cakes in my sight, that I may eat at her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go now to thy brother Amnon's house and dress him meat. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and he was laid down, and she took flour and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and did bake the cakes. And she took a pan and poured them out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, Have out all the men from me. And they went out every man from him. And Amnon said unto Tamar, Bring the meat into the chamber that I may eat out of thine hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon her brother. And when she had brought them unto him to eat, he took hold of her and said unto her, Come lie with me, my sister. She answered him, Nay, my brother, do not force, uh, do not force me, for no such thing ought to be done in Israel. Do not thou this folly. And I, whither shall I cause my shame to go? And as for thee, thou shalt be one of the fools in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, speak unto the king, for he will not withhold me from thee. I, I don't be believe that's actually the case. I think this would have been illegal in the, under the Jewish law. But she's doing whatever she can to get herself out of this situation. Verse 14, Howbeit he would not hearken unto her voice, but being stronger than she, forced her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred wherewith he hated her was greater than the love wherewith he had loved her. And Amnon said unto her, Arise, be gone. I'm not going to take a lot of time. I think this story speaks to itself, but Amnon here is, is a profile of an abuser. And it's important for the church to be clear. It's important for the church to be clear on how we view these types of things. We live in a generation of what we've seen in the last 30 years is cover-ups and hidden things and abuse that's been allowed. And so while wasn't the, the, number, the number one topic I would have liked to preach on today, it came up in the passage and I realized, boy, what an important thing in, an, in a generation in which we live to say that there is no tolerance, that there is no allowance made for any who would abuse another person, whether it be sexually, verbally, or physically that the Bible condemns abuse in all forms. And there is a profile, unless any, and it's important as we look at Amnon to understand that there is a profile of an abuser, and we saw this in his behavior. 
First of all, he was entitled to his own desires. This person felt and was narcissistic in his desires and said that he was entitled to that which was other people's. And in this case, the purity of another person, the, the body of another person. There is no man or woman who is entitled to the body of another person. That is a fact. And there is no excuse for such things. I can hear Amnon making every excuse in the world and saying, well, my dad had all these wives. Interestingly enough, um, David, with the exception of Bathsheba, had the same lust problem, but he was able to keep it under control in the sense that he followed the law of the day. Right? I mean, he, he fulfilled his lust, but he did it in a way that was legal in his culture. Amnon takes it, takes it a step further. But really, how much different is it in its heart with the person who feels that they have the right to another person's body? It's awful. It's a wicked, terrible, terrible sin. And the church ought to lead the charge against such things. He's entire, entitled to his own desires, but then you noticed also as we read, he was encouraged by a perverse influence, and that was his cousin Jonadab. He allowed influences. He, when, when he was met with this first desire, and I preach this to those who may have, to, to, I preach this for the sake of protecting our children, protecting our daughters, and preventing a, a pattern of abuse from rising up in any person's life. If you've battled this sense of entitlement, or you've been, you've been influenced by the perverseness of our culture around you, by things like pornography, and, um, and sexually explicit materials, if you've been influenced by those things, the point is to stop at that moment to repent and seek the forgiveness of God. But rather, but rather Amnon, he finds someone to support him, encourage him in his wickedness, and that was Jonadab. And finally, he exploited a vulnerable person. And we need to be on guard. As a church, we need to be on guard. As families, we need to be on guard because it's always been a pattern of abuse for people to exploit sometimes the most vulnerable and those closest to them. That's why as a church, we have policies and things set up for the protection of our children, for the protection of, the, the, uh, of, uh, of our families. Because this abusive type exploits the person the most vulnerable. Oh, sin runs deep. It's a, heavy, it's a heavy passage. And then we turn from Amnon to Tamar, the innocent. You notice, remember what I said there. Tamar, the what? The innocent. The innocent. That's vitally important. The innocent. But she's affected by this. Verse 16, after he is done with her and casts her away. Verse 16, she said unto him, There is no cause. This evil in sending me away is greater than the other that thou didst unto me. But he would not hearken unto her. Then he called the servant that ministered unto him and said, Put now this woman out from me and bolt the door after her. And she had a garment of diverse colors on her, for with such robes were the king's daughters that were virgins apparelled. Then his servants brought her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head 
and rent her garment of diverse colors that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went on crying. And Absalom, her brother, said unto her, now this is Absalom, her, her full blood brother. He sees Tamar come and he, he starts to understand what just happened. They all knew that Tamar was sent to help take care of her half-brother Amnon. And now she comes out in just a completely distraught state with her beautiful garment ripped and ashes on her head and her hand on her head in shame. And, and, and she's just so humiliated. And Absalom sees and in a moment, hath Amnon thy brother been with thee? He knows. Absalom knows what has just taken place. He puts, the, he puts it together. And he stops. And he says, hold thy, hold thy peace, my sister. Don't say anything. He is thy brother. Regard not this thing. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. Tamar is completely innocent in all of this. Tamar is completely innocent in all of this. But sadly, she doesn't feel innocent. And that's a reality for those who've, who've been the, the victim or suffered in, in similar crimes that have been committed against them. Remember, you bear no responsibility in the abuse that you've received, regardless of how the, the, the abuser treats this person, regardless of what, what how, how, regardless of how, um, regardless of how Amnon tries to make her feel, how dirty he tries to make her feel, she is made to feel shame from her abuser, but she deserves the support of those who are closest to her. She deserves the support of those who are closest to her. And it's Absalom, it's Absalom who takes her into his house. Only Absalom is willing to show some love and to show some support. Who should have been there to defend her? Who? David. David should have been there. Well, well maybe he didn't know. Verse number 22, David's sin of silence. In verse number 22, 21, I'm sorry, verse 21. But when King David heard of all these things, say it with me, he was very wroth. And do you know what the scripture records that he does? Nothing. He does nothing. He does absolutely nothing. And people take note that David does nothing. Absalom, for one, takes note that his father does nothing. The silent are complicit in the crime. Every time that something has been swept under the rug, or somebody has been more concerned with the reputation of their church or their school or their family, or every time that someone has been more concerned with an organization rather than the person they should be concerned with, which is the victim, they become complicit in the crime. And I will let you know that as a church, we believe and we follow the practice the very moment that such a thing is reported, that we would become aware of such a thing to take place, our very first call would be to the government authorities because they are the ones who God has given authority to deal with such matters. 
The problem here is King David is that government authority. He is the one, and he does nothing. And he compounds the hurt that's been taken, that's taken place. The silent are complicit in the crime. D David, later on, as we come to the end of the passage in a couple of minutes, David is more concerned with Amnon at the end. He expresses more concern for Amnon than he ever expresses for Tamar. Boy, I've just, as I read it, it just broke my heart because very little changes in the heart, in the evil hearts of men from in thousands and thousands of years. I mean, we're dealing with the same corrupt, wicked patterns today as they did then. And David's sin is a sin of silence. So if David's not going to do anything about it, Absalom will. Absalom will deal with this. But unfortunately, Absalom doesn't go about it the right way either. Because of David's inaction, Absalom becomes a ruthless avenger. Look with me at um, verse number 23. It, um, or verse 22. Verse number 22 says, And Absalom spake unto his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom, Absalom, what's the word? He what? He hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. And it came to pass after, what's the period of time? Two full years. Two full years. Absalom is about to seek vengeance, but not justice. Absalom's heart is now becoming a heart of hatred and vengeance when he should be seeking justice. How many of you know there's a difference between vengeance and justice? Vengeance is looking for personal satisfaction. Justice is pleading both on behalf of the victim and for righteousness sake. But Absalom takes two years to just let his heart become increasingly enraged and filled with hate. And I got to tell you, part of me in the passage, it's probably not the right heart, I'll just confess that to you, but part of me gets it. <laughs> right? I mean, somebody's got to do something about this. Which, which shows you, ha David not only fails to protect his daughter, but David fails to protect Absalom from himself. If the authority had stepped in at the right time and done what was done, Absalom could have been relieved of this pressure, of this vindication that he's seeking, but he's not. The problem is this, though. Um, Absalom becomes fixated on this, and he has a heart of vengeance. Romans 12, 19 is a serious warning for each of us. I gave you this scripture, Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written... Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. The problem with that hatred and unforgiveness, now, we'll get to the justice part in a minute, so stick with me, all right? This isn't a forgiveness that says, well, okay, I forgive you, sorry, no harm, you know, whatever, move on. No, there's serious justice that needs to take place. But vengeance corrupts Absalom's heart in a unique way. 
And that is the pain and the, and the, and the, the harm that comes from bitterness, unforgiveness, wrath, and anger. Like we sang, sin runs deep. It runs deep. Now Absalom becomes a mess, and he's got two years to be consumed with hate. He hates Amnon, and what we don't realize yet, but as we finish the life of David in the next few weeks, you're going to find that he is also coming to hate his father. And hate just consumes. Listen, when a wrong is committed, whether it's a sin or an abuse or a situation, in your, in your zeal for justice for the victim, keep that zeal. Be, be zealous for justice for those, but be careful that hatred doesn't take root in your heart because hatred is destructive. And, Amna, and Absalom, Absalom becomes a person that's consumed with hate. And so let's see what happens. This is the pain of injustice. Look what takes place. I'll back up a little bit. We'll look at verse 24, or verse 23. After two years, Absalom had sheep shears in Baal Hazor, which is beside Ephraim, and Absalom invited all the king's sons. Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, now thy servant hath sheep shears. Let the king, I beseech thee, and his servants go with thy servant. So every year there was an annual shearing of the sheep. And just like the old days uh, in, in our American culture when uh, when people would gather at the harvest time, they'd have celebrations in agrarian societies. There'd be a, you know, the harvest celebration, or they'd uh, do things like the barn raisings together. You know, all those community and family events to celebrate the season of the year. It's the sheep shearing, and everybody's gathering around. And Absalom, two years? I mean, it's been two years. Nothing has happened. But Absalom says, hey, all the brothers, the half-brothers, all the family, I want them to come over my place for the sheep-shearing celebration. So, everything, of course, had been forgotten. Verse 24, Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, now thy servant has sheep-shears. Let the king, I beseech thee, and his servants go with thy servant. And the king said, Nay, my son, let us not all now go, lest we would be chargeable unto thee. And he pressed him, howbeit he would not go, but blessed him. Isn't this interesting? Who did Absalom want to be there? Did you see that? Who Absalom wanted to be there? Not just the brothers, but who? David. Whew. He wanted David to be there for what was going to happen. And David just, for whatever reason, is like, no, I'm not going to come. No, no, I'm not coming. I'm not coming. Won't be there. Well, then Amnon says, if not, at least let Amnon go with us. And the king said, well, why, why does he need to go? Yeah, you know, we really want him there. We really, come on, I, I really want him to be there. We all need to be together, all the brothers together. C come on, dad, let's, let's let it happen. And but Absalom pressed him that he let Amnon and the king's sons go with him. Now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Mark ye now, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say unto you, smite Amnon, then kill him, fear not. Have not I commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. And the servants of Absalom did unto Amnon as Absalom had commanded. You follow that? There's a party. They're all, he gets them, Absalom gets them all drunk. All the brothers are there. The seat of the table for their father wasn't occupied, but all the brothers are there. And when Amnon is very drunk, 
Absalom gives a signal to his servants who reach up and stab him to death right there at the table in front of all the brothers. Whew. And so all the king's son arose, and every man got him up upon his mule and fled. They ran. There's just a panic. They didn't know if they were next or what was going to happen, what the purpose was. Verse 30, it came to pass that while they were in the way that tidings came to David. This is the news that comes to David. Somebody says, David, Absalom has killed all of your sons. No one is left. And David hits this news, hits him just with intensity, and he's brokenhearted. And then somebody comes and says, no, no, it's not all of them. It's... It's only Amnon. It's only Amnon. He's the only one. At that moment, I think David knew what had just happened. He knew. And his silence had resulted in all of this. This is pain, the pain that comes from injustice. There's nothing good that comes from a cover-up. There's nothing good that comes from just moving on. And regardless, if there's a statute of limitations or whatever, if a crime was committed five years ago, 15 years ago, or 50 years ago, justice needs to be served. It needs to come out. And I don't care who's being protected. It doesn't matter who, how great or important or loved the person is. If injustice has been committed, it needs to be brought out. Well, time heals all wounds. No, it doesn't. Justice heals wounds. Justice. Because our God is a God of justice. And we as Christians ought to understand that. We've been, we were under the justice of God and we received the grace and mercy of God. We ought to know that our God is a God of justice. And people need to, people, young men and young women need to feel supported that if they come out and speak the truth that there will be an honest investigation given because there's pain that comes from injustice. You say, all right, well, Ethan, how is this all supposed to happen then? Because you just read us a passage from Romans 12 that says, hey, don't avenge yourselves. Vengeance is mine. So shouldn't we just wait for God to deal with it? Won't God deal with that person? Can I ask you, how does God work his vengeance and justice in the world? Through whom? Through the government. In fact, in that same book, just a few verses later, we come to, and I'll give you this passage, Romans chapter 13. Romans 13 and verse number 3, it says, for rulers. For rulers. Aren't you thankful? Even, in, even though we don't agree with, with so much that goes on in our country, aren't you thankful that we still live in a land that follows the rule of law? And when any, when any elected person or appointed person doesn't follow the rule of law, listen, okay, rant, here it comes. You ready? If the president doesn't follow the Constitution, why should the policeman follow the law? And there have been Republican and Democratic presidents who have not followed the Constitution, Okay. But we're seeing this right now in the time in which we live. This has implications, folks. It's not a political thing. It's not political about a party or whatever. It's that we are blessed with a system of law and order. And as soon as someone thinks that they are above the law in whatever position they're in, as soon as they view themselves as above the law, our whole society can break down. Justice. 
The rulers are to be not a terror to good works, but to the evil. It is the job of the rulers of the land to punish evil. In fact, it says, will you be afraid of the power? If you do that which is good, you'll have praise of the same. But verse 4, for he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, what's it say? Be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. What power did God give the government in this passage? The power of the the sword. The sword. Or the gun, or whatever the, the culture of the day is. The government, ha- God has given that power to the government, is their responsibility. For he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is. What's that word? You say, well, Ethan, I thought you're a minister. Well, right, I'm a minister of the gospel, and the policeman is the minister of the sword. The, uh, the, the judge, the Supreme Court, every, every, they are the ministers of God. They are God's ministers. There have been people that have said, well, this abuse happened in the church, so the church will deal with it. Is that biblical? No. Well, this happened in the family, so the family will deal with it. Is that biblical? No. When crime is committed, who is God's minister? The rulers. And we, we live in this, we need to understand that. That's a very, very important principle. Why? God set this up for our good. And as soon as King David fails to fulfill his responsibility as the ruler, as soon as he fails in his responsibility as a ruler, he fails to be the minister of God, and and everything breaks down all around him. And now his son is dead. His other son hates him. His daughter now has become the, the, even this is not true justice for her. She's been avenged. But there's pain that comes with injustice. It says in verse 36, let's pick it up there. It came to pass as soon as he had made an end of speaking, that behold, the king's sons came and lifted up their voice and wept. And the king also, in all his servants, wept very sore. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amihud, king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And the soul of King David longed to go forth unto Absalom, for he was comforted concerning Amnon, seeing he was dead. Boy, David is such heartache. He loves all of his children, right? He loves them all. And, and now it's, it, it, their, their actions have, have just destroyed all that was there of the family. And I got to tell you, in this passage, in this story, do you know what resolution this family finds? None. It never heals. Ever. So is that the end? Of course not. 
because we're studying David, we don't follow David, we follow Jesus. Tamar, Tamar needed David to be the dad he should have been, but he wasn't. Can I tell you, we have a father who is everything we need. We have a savior who is abundantly and above all we could ever ask for or need. And when the world lets you down, and when your family lets you down, and when the government lets you down, and when it looks like the perpetrator is going to get away with it, you have a father who will plead your cause. You have a father who will bring justice. And Jesus is our savior. He is one with our father. Jesus has the heart of a true father. And for those that may be broken and inside this morning, and, you, and this may have brought up painful memories, run to the arms of your father. Run to Christ. Run to Jesus. Where sin runs deep, his grace is more. And I know that's easy for me to say, but I promise you, Jesus said, come to me. And this is even in the Old Testament. I love these. I'll give you these two passages. Psalm 68 and verse number 5. It says that he is a father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows. The, the idea of the widows is in the culture, those were the people who had no one to defend them, no one to, to speak their cause. And it says here that God is the father to those people. He's the father of the fatherless. He's the judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. Psalm 10 and verse number 12, Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up thine hand. Forget not the humble. Wherefore do the wicked contemn God? This is an interesting verse. It's like people say, ah, God, God's not going to do anything about this. God's not going to, they say, oh, God, thou wilt not require it. They're, they're, I'm not going to have to pay for this. Well, the psalmist says in verse 14 to the Lord, Lord, thou hast seen it. For thou beholdest mischief and spite to requite it with thy hand. The poor committeth himself unto thee. Thou art the helper of the fatherless. Tamar found herself in a moment without a father, and what an awful moment. And many people, no one to turn to, but you can turn to the Lord. Jesus has the heart of a true father. Jesus has a heart, not just that fatherly heart of comfort, but Jesus also has a heart of true justice, of true justice. He doesn't just pass it over and say, hey, it'll be okay, let's just forget about it. There's an important passage we'll take a few minutes to, to work through, and this is where we're going to finish this morning. It's Matthew chapter 18. I'll put it on the screen, but you're also welcome to turn there. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus does not only have the heart of a true father, but Jesus has a heart of true justice. There's a scene with the disciples gathered around, and they set a little child. They brought a little child. This little child sits in the whole group, Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye become converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Do you see the special love that, that Jesus has for the children? Special love that he has. We talk about that father, the, the heart of a father. 
Jesus says, listen, this little child with such a tender heart, such a heart of believing faith, a heart that will turn to me, this little child, you need hearts like these children if you want to become believers. You need hearts like children. And now verse 5, and whoso shall receive one such little child, in my name receiveth me. But look at verse 6. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him, this is Jesus speaking now, about someone who would offend an innocent, vulnerable child. It would be better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Whew. Can you imagine being there in the moment? I mean, it just turned on a dime, right? This is our Savior. And I just see him in his, his warm embrace saying, these are my children. They're mine, my daughters and my sons. And you ought to be like them and you ought to love them. But if you mess with one of these little kids, if you mess with one of them, you had better hope, you had better hope that man's justice finds you before God's justice finds you. Whew, that's Jesus. Now he gives us something. This is interesting. In this passage, Jesus addresses a lot because still, oh, if you're like me, you struggle with this. Oh, but God, we just don't want to see it. But it happens, and Jesus says in verse number Oh, verse number seven, woe unto the world because of offenses. People say, well, God, why do you allow, well, why would God allow these things to happen? And listen, we have to remember when God sees the sin and the wickedness, he doesn't say, oh, it's a cursed world. That's what they get. It's not his attitude. What does he say? When Jesus sees the offenses, he says, woe to you. God looks down from heaven at the, at, the, at the stories like Tamar's story, and he says to the people that would do such things, he says, woe to you. But, woe unto the world because of offenses, but for it must needs be that offenses come. What do you mean it must needs be that offenses come? I think the point is this. Until this world is completely redeemed, in order for God to give us the free will that we have, he has allowed men to make choices of their own free will. And because of that, Jesus said, it breaks my heart, but offenses are going to come. Things are going to happen. Sin, people's, people's sinful choices are going to hurt innocent people. But Jesus says, but I see it. And woe to that person. He says, the offenses will come. And I know right now, there's a kingdom coming where there will be no offenses. There's a kingdom coming. There'll be no more tears. It's all going to be wiped away. There's a perfect kingdom coming. But while we live in this world, bad things are going to happen. Evil people are going to do evil things. And we say, and we look to God, and God says, it's going to happen. But woe to those people who commit those things. Woe to them. Judgment will come. So can I tell you right now, if you are a person and you have committed such things, 
If you are in here and there has been crimes like this that you have committed, woe to you. Are you saying there is no hope? No, I'm not saying that. There is hope, but you would better report yourself to the authorities. You'd better throw yourself at the mercy of the government rulers, and you'd better plead to God for forgiveness because the eternal judgment will be awful for you unless you run to the loving and forgiving arms of Christ in true repentance. You say, Ethan, do you believe that person can truly be saved? Of course I do, because where sin runs deep, God's grace is more. God can even save the abuser. It doesn't mean they're free from those consequences. God can save a person, and you can still spend the rest of your life in prison, because God is a God of justice and mercy. But if you're that person, there is, you cover it up, the cover-up in your life reveals an unconverted heart. I would, be very, I would be very afraid if I claimed to be a Christian and I had hidden abuse in my life that I had committed, I would be very afraid to call myself a child of God. Your first step to show a heart of repentance would be to turn yourself in and confess your sin and confess your crime. You say, Ethan, why are you doing that? Because it's happened in churches. Why are you saying this? Because it's happened in churches. And this is the word of God. And the church needs to give a clear clarion call that this is truth. This is how we respond to these situations. Don't make the David mistake. But then for those that your your heart might be broken, can I share this finally with you? Jesus not only has the heart of a true father and a heart of true justice, but Jesus has a heart of true healing. True healing. Never allow, and I know easy to say, difficult to to live through, but never allow the sin of another person against you to define your life. You are a child of the king. If you know Jesus, you belong to him. And you are pure and holy and perfect in his eyes. Jesus has a heart of true healing. In the same passage, he goes back down to, he he continues on in verse number 10 and says, Take heed, be careful that you despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. You're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You say, Ethan, do you believe in guardian angels? Well, I don't know if I believe everything people say about guardian angels, but it sure does look like the children have an angel in heaven watching over them. How about it? Jesus says that the angels of heaven, their angels... Behold the face of my Father. And the heart of heaven breaks. The heart of heaven breaks for a crime against one of his dear children. And Jesus says at the end, the most important message to this messed up world that we live in. Verse 11, For the Son of Man... That's Jesus. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. The hope for every person 
is that the God of heaven became a man. And his mother named him Jesus, as the angel told them to. And Jesus lived this, I mean, in the perfection of heaven, he came to the brokenness of this world. He suffered the, the pain of sin like you and I have suffered and dealt with. But the difference between Jesus is, is, and us, the difference between Jesus and us is while I suffered not only the sins that others commit against me, but I also suffered because of whose sins? Because of my own sins. But Jesus was without any sin. He was perfect, he was holy, and he came for us, the sinful ones. He came for us, he seeks us, and he saves us. In fact, we, don't, we, we didn't wake up one day and say, you know what, I think I'll become a Christian one day. It didn't happen that way. God drew us to himself. God spoke to our hearts, and God said, I love you, and I love you so much that I sent my son Jesus to die for you. Will you come into my arms and be saved? Be saved. Listen, don't live in a broken and sinful world and step out lost into an eternity that leads, that brings to hell. The brokenness of this world, if you know Jesus, your next step is an eternity with him in heaven. And the glory that is to come cannot be compared to the sufferings that we experience here. Like any suffering in this, in this period of time, like if this wall, if, listen, if, if, my, if, if this wall were to represent eternity, that'd be a problem, right? Because the wall has ends. But if this wall from there to there represents all of eternity, how big would you make the time of your life here? I disagree. I think you'd need a microscope. It's hard. Life is, life is full of joys. I mean, I've, we've had some, I've just enjoyed this summer, had some good times, but you know, life is full of heartaches too. But it's short. It's just, it's just a, short period of, a short period of time. We were created for eternity. So let me ask you, do you know where you will spend eternity? Do you know, are you sure that if you died today, if your life ended today, do you know that that, that large span of time would be in a perfect place with a perfect Savior? I hear some amens. I would say that amen. I know because there was a time in my life where I realized I could never be good enough for God, but I just received his forgiveness. I believed that Jesus died for me and rose again. I asked him to save me. Have you ever done that? That's the most important decision you can make in your life. And then those of us that have done that, we, we still go through hardship and, and we still struggle to understand things sometimes. But we have an anchor for our souls to get us through this life and into eternity. If you've never trusted Christ, why don't you do it right now? Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? We're going to have a, we, this is our time. We refer to it as an invitation. We're going to sing a song in just a moment. We're going to pray. But we call it an invitation because we are all being invited by God to respond to the word that we've heard today. God invites us not just to listen, but to, to know him. So the question I asked before, do you know for sure? 
Is there anyone in here that would say, Ethan, I'd like to be sure. I hope that I'm on my way to heaven, but I'm just not sure. Maybe you're in the room or maybe you're watching on the live stream today. You say, I'm just not sure that I am, that I am on my way to heaven, but I'd like to be sure. If that's you right now, the Bible says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That means if in your heart you'll say, yes, Jesus, yes, I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead and I trust you as my Savior. If you'll do that, you can pray a simple prayer. That If you believe it in your heart, you're a child of God. But if you'd like to right now make sure, why don't you pray something like this to Jesus? Say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've broken your word. But I want you to save me. I trust you. You died for me. You rose from the dead. And right now, I trust you to save me. Do that right now in your heart. Put your faith in Christ. With our heads bowed, eyes closed, if anyone has done that today, and I want to pray for you. I won't point your name out, but you say, Ethan, I wasn't sure, but today I made sure. Just slip up, slip up your hand, put it down real quick. If you're watching online, send us a message. Say, Ethan, pray for me. I, I made the decision to trust Christ today. I want to pray for you. Christian, we're going to go to a time of prayer now. The instruments are going to play. Maybe you need to settle some things in your heart. Maybe, you, maybe you've been dealing with some bitterness or you've been dealing with some pain and you need to just run to the arms of the Lord. Just do that right now and let's have a time of prayer. Those who aren't still praying, let's stand together. And Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. God, I pray that you'd meet each need in here this morning. I pray that you'd speak to each heart in a way that only you can do. Lord, we just thank you that you are our shepherd, that you walk close to us, that you love us. Thank you for meeting with us today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Listen.